Hi, I'm Robert McGinnis. I'm the driver of the number nine Palto Network Suncos Racing for Mazda car. And welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. time of the year that the local news media here in Cleveland feels the need to emphatically remind the local population that in November it gets cold and sometimes it snows. It's the liberal use of the S word that causes people to panic. Well, let's, there's a pattern that, that, that tends to come out around this time of the year is, okay, we start talking about snow and the reminder that it snows and you have to be ready and it's cold. And then the first, I hesitate to call it storm, the first almost close but not really significant snow starts to appear on the horizon in the weather reports that they talk that it's only about an, an inch or two of snow, but they talk about it as if this is going to be the great blizzard of the year and, you know, get all of your supplies and the milk and the bread and the eggs and two days of news stories about how to drive safely and prepare your, your vehicle for the snow and how ODOT is readying themselves and the local towns are readying themselves for the inch to two inches of snow so that when the snow actually comes on that very day, they have all of their remote reporters all around the region talking about how the snow is and how the visibility is low, and then they look at the pavement and it's wet. Okay, <laughs> but let's remember, this is our ninth snow season in Northeast Ohio. Well, there's, there's Wait, more to how the season works, because that's the other fun Wait, thing. this is our ninth snow season in Northeast Ohio. Do you recall driving into work on the first day of any significant or insignificant snowfall, whether the pavement is wet or slightly snow covered, and every single human in Northeast Ohio goes, ah, scary snow, the pavement's wet, can't drive. Well, you know, I, I, I get used to the, the way it works is that when there is snow, just naturally assume that my 30-minute commute will be two hours. Yeah. Just, it, it, it's going to happen. It is what it is. Move on with your life. Plan two hours. Make sure there's some extra podcasts available, and away you go. But the way this tends to work is that, yes, for the, the first three, maybe four snowstorms that we have, especially if, you know, you're only talking like two to four inches of accumulation, the media is out. They are in all the, the known, quote unquote, trouble places, all the areas where they know they can get tons and tons of snow. And after about the fourth or fifth storm of the season, it's, yeah, it's going to snow. That's yeah. it. Until it gets to be that springtime when we get that one good clear day, which is not the end of winter. <laughs> it never is the end of winter, but we get this one gloriously clear day and everybody rushes outside in their shorts and flip-flops. And about two days later, we get dumped on with the heaviest, wettest snow of the entire season. And then everybody acts surprised. And everybody acts surprised. <laughs> we thought this was gone. This happens this is as predictable as Christmas on the 25th of December and the fact that the Thanksgiving is always the fourth Thursday of November. I mean, those two dates have never moved, and yet we are constantly surprised by both of them. That happens in the spring every single year, and yet everyone in Northeast Ohio is shocked by this. There is something in the water that causes amnesia. I, yeah, it, it's that and a number of folks who are like, yeah, I've lived here all my life. I really hate the cold and the snow. Well, then why do you still live here? Because they've lived here there all their life. Yeah, I know. Moving on to actual, you know, what we record about. 
besides ranting about the locals. I know. How many years do we have to be here before we become what we rant against? I don't know. Maybe when we act surprised that it snows in winter in Cleveland. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, I'm not ever giving up the, I grew up in Florida, I moved here for the weather line. Well, there's, there's that. You know, you know when we have officially become locals, when we actually believe that the Cleveland Browns will win a game. What sport do they play again? There you go. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so we have no news this week because Lewis Hamilton won the championship last week in Mexico, and therefore there is nothing else anybody is talking about. Correct. Okay. As the folks over at Five Live have been very quick to remind everybody, the Constructors' Championship has not been decided. The season is not over yet. Daniel Ricciardo did not walk away from his car for the final two races of the season. Although he has a pretty good reason to want to do that this week. Okay, but as Five Live also said, and I believe it was Julian Palmer that said this, is I can name... Every world champion. I think it was Jack Nichols, but from yeah. like the mid '80s onward, and I can't name a single constructors champion. And I'm sitting there as I'm listening to that, going, you know, for the last five years it's been Mercedes. That wasn't hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually yeah, five years, and then the four before that was Red Bull. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you got to go back almost ten years to get to somebody that's different than Mercedes or Red Bull. Yeah. So I I mean yes and no I it, th- there was some val- validity to it, to their point but not much yes but actual news okay so there Things is actually happen. news over at Williams um, head of performance engineering Rob Smedley has announced his departure from the team effective at the end of the season. I've been surprised and not surprised at the same time about this piece of news. I, I want to know the real motivation behind this. That's what I want to know. Um, the big question I have is, where's he going? Because and, that's not coming up, and I can't imagine he's completely walking away from the sport. Well, the, and, and, and that's why I, I'm wondering what the motivation is. Because he has he is saying that he does r- want to remain within Formula One and is looking at other potential opportunities within Formula One. Um, but that after 20 years in the sport, quote, I feel it's the right time to reflect on things and evaluate what the next move is. I'm thoroughly looking forward to spending more time with my family before deciding on future opportunities. That's interesting. Wh- which in many ways sounds like he's... he's um, been asked to resign yeah well i mean if you base that on williams actual performance and he's in charge of performance performance engineering yes this year um i could understand although i'm not entirely sure i would agree with the choice of scapegoats there but um there's also a theory it's a not even a theory a hypothesis I, I think this is more wishful thinking on the part of Jack Nichols. Possibly. But Rob Smedley used to be a race engineer for Felipe Massa. And that's w- what brought him to Williams. Correct. And so Felipe is going to go race in Formula E. Mm-hmm. And he's going to f- race for the Venturi team, which mm-hmm. is run by Susie Wolf. Mm-hmm. And thus, there was a thought that maybe Formula E is trying to entice him. And that might go hand in hand with the idea of, I want to spend more time with my family because the season's shorter. It does, except again, hearing that he wants to stay in Formula One. True. But everybody wants to stay in Formula One. And then they wind up at Formula E. Or DTM or... Or at home raising Jack Wolf. I don't know. So, Rob's just the the latest in senior folks, though, who have been departing Williams. Also having left recently was designer Ed Wood, who arguably may be a bit more responsible for the shortcomings of this year's car, as well as aerodynamicist Dirk DeBeer. Now, Dirk 
stepped down in May. Mm-hmm. But I would, I kind of wonder if maybe they've got more responsibility with the current situation. I don't know. I well, it's definitely something to consider, think about. Um, but this is also very, very similar to what we saw happen over at McLaren. As they were tanking yeah. last year, we saw a lot of senior folks bail. And, you know, they it's going to cause an extended rebuilding period is what I think is going to happen. But Williams has got to figure something out because they should not be 10th and they're going to be 10th. Well, you know, you say extended rebuilding period, but the reality is they've been in a slump for a while. I know. And really, they've only picked up in the last two years only to go right back down again. And if anything, I think that shows how precarious it can be in Formula One. Mm -hmm. Well, you make one mistake in how you you build a car, you do something, and it's got a season's worth of ramifications. And then that's going to give that has money ramifications Mm -hmm. and then that has years of ramifications after that. But I mean, you remember. Was it McLaren that made the error in the push versus the yep, pull rod the 2013 suspension? car. Yeah. I mean, that is that is the type of thing that has downward spiral effects. So um, we have to talk about one of your least favorite topics. Is it tires or engines? Tires. Ugh. Tires have been a, a source of concern, especially the last couple of races, and the general fragility of the tires. Oh, they're Italian. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Another Cleveland joke there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Pirelli has announced that um, – in 2019, for every race, they will be running thinner tread tires. Doesn't that just make you amused by the fact that they're talking tread on slicks? Tread on th- slicks. And at first, you're thinking that, okay, if folks are complaining about the fragility of the tires and you're making them thinner, isn't this going to make the problem worse? But it somehow doesn't. It doesn't. It, it doesn't. So what these tires are, they, they've already run them or or this type of tire at three different races um they ran it at the spanish french and british grand prix this year um and they were run specifically with the concern that um these tracks had they were high speed tracks with brand new surfaces and there were concerns about graining and about um overheating with the tires Mm mm-hmm and at these tracks with these tire conditions, they did not run into the problem. But we have seen that particularly be a problem in Mexico and several of the other tracks, which are using the thicker composition. So my guess is that actually the thinner tires are a bit more durable because they're, they can't hold on to the heat the same way. I was about to say, I'm wondering if it has something to do with the heat distribution because a yeah. thick wall tire would have a difference from top surface to bottom surface if you think of it that way Mm -hmm. a difference in temperature and the difference could be great enough that would cause instability where if it's thinner it either is dissipating heat better or it can be a consistent temperature all the way through the tire yeah um and that's because i know next to nothing about how tires are made or tires run but that's my guess but for all of 2019, they will be running thinner tires. Well, let's see how that works. Over at Haas. Okay. You know, it, it's been an up and down season for them. Um, really close to, to hitting fourth. I mean, big deal for them. Well, it is. And they, I think that we underestimate how new Haas is in Formula One. I mean, they are still a baby team. They just now are getting able to be paid prize money, which makes them, what, their third year? Yeah. And so to be competing at fourth in three years, given the, the, the spread of what the teams are and how well-funded and how experienced these people are, that's pretty phenomenal. Well, they're going to end up in fifth because of 
the disqualification in Monza. So those points, unfortunately, have locked them in the fifth place. But it was a very close fight for fourth this year between them and Renault, and potentially would have been if we hadn't had the situation over at Force India. Yeah. Um, But Kevin Magnuson is reflecting on how things have happened and how the team has been able to capitalize or not capitalize on the strengths of the car. Is that what he is writing in his Formula One journal? Um, I think it's his self-review. Oh, he's writing his self-review. He's oh. working on his self-review. You know, we're coming to the end of the season, so he, he's working on that. Um, he actually said that the car was too good for the team in relation to their overall experience within Formula One. And that the team wasn't quite as experienced to fully capitalize on the strengths of the car. Is this a self-review or a why I didn't succeed? 360-degree review. Okay. (laughs) He said, we had the performance in a car to probably finish fourth in a championship, but we haven't been able to really capitalize enough. We're a very new team, and I think we're punching above our weight a little bit with a car that's a little bit too good for the experience we have, probably. But that just shows what kind of talent and potential the team has. We've just got to get more experience and minimalize mistakes and improve consistency so we can properly fight for the position that we deserved. Okay. I'm not in t- I mean, yes, Haas had some pretty glaring mistakes that occurred through the course of the year that unfortunately seemed to end up a lot on Grosjean's side of the garage. Mm-hmm. But that being said, we've seen much more experienced teams make the same mistakes. Maybe not quite as frequently. I mean, let's go back to the um, Valtteri Botas pit stop in Spa where Williams put three tires of one uh, hardness on the car and one tire of a completely different hardness on the car. Yes, it happens. And you can't say Williams is inexperienced. Yeah. Um, now, they did learn from the mistake. but I mean, I think Kimmy's had that same kind of problem happen. There's been wheel nuts that haven't been tightened yeah, on I mean, other teams. Yeah, I mean, there's wheel nuts. There's, you know, mechanics who get run over. And, I mean... In the immortal words of Forrest Gump, it happens. Okay. I'm, keep, I'm keeping our clean rating. Oh, is that it? Um, but it does. These things happen. It's a high-stress environment during the race. Things, Mistakes are made. Problems happen. But, I mean, Kevin's right. The team in itself, of itself has not been functioning together you know they need to have trust falls and they need to go on a ropes course together they need to do some professional development um well you know this is where i think they they actually do need to look at the williams experience um because the year that valtteri that that we mentioned where valtteri had that horrible pit stop Williams actually had a string of really, really bad pit stops mm-hmm. and errors. And in that off season, they put a lot of work and a lot of effort into how they organize and function and structure around a pit stop and how the workflow handles and all of those various things and came back the next, what, three seasons setting consistently fastest pit stop of the race yep. at almost every race to the point that the processes that they put in place and the way that they did it um, was being looked at outside of formula, like neonatal clinics in Britain were looking at the philosophy that Williams incorporated, this idea that every person that is involved in that function has a set area that they work in. Mm -hmm. And they do not stray out of that area. And there is a defined handoff process as things need to transfer around between the various areas so that nobody conflicts with each other, nobody bounces into each other, and there's clear expectations of what is supposed to happen. You cannot 
look at that string of fastest pit stops uh, that Williams had without going. They went to the very heart and root of what mm-hmm. their issue was. And, you know, I don't know what the meetings look like. I'm not a fly on the wall at Williams. But you cannot imagine that it is possible to go from putting three you know, one different wheel on a car in a pit stop after a string of horrible pit stops. Mm-hmm. I mean, like race-changing pit stops. You can't say they went from that to a string of fastest pit stops, the most coordinated pit stops, without somebody walking into a room and going, there is no sacred cow. We are going to get to the very, very bottom of this, and we're going to redesign it from the ground up. So because we always did it that way is not an acceptable answer. We're going to do it because that way because it's the best possible way. And you know that they had to have those conversations. And somebody, you know, along the way said, but, but, no, no buts. And they probably did ropes courses and trust falls. And, you know, the I, I laughingly say that, but the the professional development that makes a team function together is very key. And Haas needs to go through that. And they need to look at what other teams have done to build the team. I've got an idea. I've, I've got the idea as to how Haas can go about building that cohesion and building that process and building that practice because that's what they need to do is they need to to build all of that because apparently it's starting to slide away Mm -hmm. and you know you mentioned these team building exercises and things of that nature there are organizations that that specifically have programs set up to help facilitate and build this so that teams can grow and develop together and better bond right Williams is one of those organizations. You can go to the factory and do practice pit stops at the factory. There you go. Can you imagine the news story? <laughs> the Haas pit team went to the Williams factory to learn how to do a pit stop this week. They, they, it, it's their, their, you know, their team offsite. They can have over at the. I mean, Williams offers all of this stuff. I hear the catering; it's fantastic. The facilities look gorgeous. Yeah. And when they're done, they can go have a sleepover at the McLaren facility. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) In between all the cars on the Avenue of Champions. Exactly. Yes. Perfect. Kevin Magnuson also has some other issues. So he he apparently got himself in trouble during uh, qualifying at the Brazilian Grand Prix. Um, he was called to the stewards for driving too slowly on an in-lap, and as a result, he got a reprimand, which means he is now one reprimand away from taking on a um, grid penalty. I didn't see that in his self-review. Probably not. That that may be part of management input. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and there's still some repercussions going on over Haas's qualification in Monza. Really? Yeah. Um, as a result of that disqualification, uh, the teams actually are met again to discuss the front wing regulations. Um, the concern was that there's some gray area in the, the new regulations for the front wing that were very similar to the gray area around the floor regulations that Haas was still playing with. And they're trying to remove that gray area. Um, basically, there's vague language refi- referring to terms such as minimal deviations. Mm. Well, they want to define what minimal deviations mean so that there's no wiggle room there. Which makes perfect sense. And in a way, it's like, well, if you know anything about Formula One and how these teams operate, if you're going to be vague, the teams are going to try and exploit it. Yeah. So if you don't want the teams to try and exploit it, don't be vague. Well, yeah, but, you know, we discussed many, many shows ago that my philosophy is that the regulation should be limited to things that keep the drivers safe. Mm Mm-hmm. And pretty much nothing else. 
Well, you know, I'm I'm okay with specifying that they need to have wheels and not tank treads. Okay. Um, but maybe capable of exceeding a certain minimum speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, things of that nature. Yeah. But I'm really pro. I want the ingenuity back in Formula One. And ingenuity I can see. Six-wheel Terrells is what I want to see. And, and really, though, the challenge is when you do that, when you throw the doors open, how do you fund it? That's the problem. That's the problem. And you're going to wind up with the best-funded teams are going to be the ones that are at the front of the pack. Right. And are we willing to accept that to get ingenuity? And this is a beyond Formula One, beyond everything, this is a critical life question if you throw the doors open and say i want ingenuity at all costs you're going to have a group of people that are well funded that will be at the head of the pack but when you start trying to control cost what you ultimately control is ingenuity to some extent yes i mean some of that also means that by controlling costs you can drive efficiency and you can do some other things that can still keep you productive and effective but it's trying to figure out where that tipping point is right but you won't have the gambler you won't have the big gamble you're going to have you're people, less likely to have that yeah you're going to wind up having the play it safes because there's not another bucket of money right behind it that, that says well if you gamble and gamble wrong how do you undo and roll back ferrari that rolled back four months of upgrades yeah. well another area that is now up for discussion is a potential money saving area is the winter break okay so think about how the series functions and it operates you know we, we've got our racing through the season there's some degree of development work that happens to refine and improve upon the current design of the car but come the off season come the winter that's when things really kick into gear when it comes to design and development and production of the car for the the upcoming year most of that work happens there to make sure that everybody gets some degree of a break, you know, in the summer we have our two-week shutdown, however that needs to happen, but it's a two-week shutdown where no over work is weeks. allowed to be done over the course of three weeks, that no work is allowed to be done. You're not supposed to be checking email. You're not supposed to be doing anything other than, you know, the guys can, can go through and they can mop the floors and, and keep the factory from burning down. There, there is minimal skeleton staff to preserve you know general safety well-being and minimal function but not like development and production work happen um well there is now talk of exploring a similar shutdown for the winter break really yeah um again shutting down wind tunnel rust running uh computational fluid dynamics operation the cfd operation production of any parts sub-assembly of parts and assembly of cars that would include any work activity by any employee consultant or subcontractor engaged in design development or production but it would still allow them to keep the lights on at the factory so if you need to do your hr training and you know the, the general record keeping and bookkeeping and stuff that needs to happen to keep a an organization, that stuff could continue. But stuff around design and development and production of a car, they would want to shut down for a period during the off-season. Okay, I get the budgeting. I get budgetary uh, ramifications of it. I also get mental break ramifications of it because mm -hmm. the seasons are hard, and to give everybody a little break before things go crazy again would be nice. But how does that affect the racing? I mean, you're talking about that all you're going to do is you're going to push development of the next car into the prior season a little bit further. 
because they've got to develop the next year's car. It's more than just that, though. You look at, say, the engine rules. You get two engines a year. That's all you're supposed to have. You have limited part swaps and things like that. So you need to be working on building and designing reliability, and you're taking away the available time to test that reliability and determine the reliability. It's I, I'm not sure that long-term this allows you to save a ton of money. There is a significant amount of design and development work that happens in these periods and, I mean, we've already heard it, what was it, last year when the, the season started earlier and the teams were expressing concern that they were at a crunch and several of the teams had problems getting their car to winter testing because they were not ready. Mm. So you're going to take two weeks out of that and rumblings of a greater than 21 race season on top of that? I'm not sure that this is a great idea. Yeah. Now, what we know is that the idea came from the last meeting of the technical working group. It's been discussed by team managers at a meeting of the sporting working group this past Thursday, Thursday at Interlagos and is now being referred to the strategy group. However, because of where things are with the rules for 2019, um, this would have to be a unanimous chain or, or unanimous agreement from the teams in order to roll this out. I'm not sure the teams would go for this. I think they're foolish if they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't like it. I don't. I get it, but I don't like it. So Formula One announced this year that they were, they'd entered into a partnership to bring sports betting yes. to Formula One. And we have taken the stance that we are opposed. Yeah, we did. Chase Carey is defending that decision. Well, of course he is. He's one of the people that made the decision. So what Chase had to say was, um, with betting, obviously we have responsibilities that go with it. We want to make sure it's done in a healthy way. We want to make sure it's done with proper integrity tools around it. But it's clear that fans enjoy it. I think it makes it more interesting. It makes it more exciting. As an American, I look in some ways like fantasy football, which is a great enhancement to the NFL. Here's a fun form of betting. I think that type of engagement in a sport widens its appeal to others. It makes the appearance, the experience better, and obviously it's providing business opportunities for us. It's both a sponsorship element and providing a more expanded and interesting set of opportunities to engage with the sport and bet on things that may not be available. People can obviously bet on the sport today, so it's not new, but I think we can provide new and interesting ways. We have to make sure we have integrity and disciplines around to make sure that with anything one bets on, there is proper oversight and it's properly policed and maintained. Um, now, he was pushed as to whether or not this was a straight sponsorship deal or if F1 would share in the betting revenues. And he said, we are not in the betting business. We are more engaged with opportunities to bet and promoting the betting aspect of it, but we're not in the gambling or betting business. Interesting. So... I mean, I, I get the idea that, you know, if betting is happening, and, and it is happening, I mean, let's be, be clear, folks are betting on Formula One in various outlets, that as a, a management and ownership group of the sport, they would like to be able to have some control, some definition, some regulation of it, and to potentially benefit from it in some form. Yeah. But, yeah, all of our other concerns are still, I think, valid there. Well, yeah. But, you know, we don't have, we don't have any say in the people out there that are betting um, as to whether or not this podcast will go forward or, you know, who will, you know, all of this crazy that's little side bets. I don't bets. think they're, they're betting. Uh, I think that's more that they're rooting. <laughs> oh, is that the difference? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean... If we wanted to get our finger into that business, I'm quite sure that it could be rather lucrative for us. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be. Oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> One could hope. So security at the Brazilian Grand Prix has been a big topic. Well, historically, it's uh, not great. 
Now, we have not heard of any incidents this year. So far. So far. We are crossing our fingers that way. Um, Force India in particular has come out and said that they have actually brought in extra security staff for the Brazilian Grand Prix. Um, Otmar Safnauer talked about some of the, the things that they have done to protect their staff. Um, he said, we've worked with promoters and with local authorities, the police, and apparently we're going to have a much bigger presence. They're going to understand our times of leaving and coming, so the presence is there at appropriate times. The police don't go home early, and then we all leave, so there will be a bigger, a bigger effort. Um, but he said the team was also looking into some other security measures. They've been fortunate over years, nothing's happened to them, but they take it seriously. So some of the, perc the precautions that they take that he says some of the other teams haven't taken in the past. Um, he said that it's routine procedure for Force India staff to remove any identifying logos related to the race when they leave the track. So the crew buses have no stickers on them. All the parking passes are removed. There's no Force India on them. They don't even wear team kit in the crew buses. They wear normal street clothes. Everything that they can possibly do to not attract attention, that's what they try and do. Except for the fact that they are a large bus leaving the track. True, but there's probably lots of other large buses that leave the track. At least they're not saying, hey, we're one of the Formula One teams. We're just a large bus leaving the track. Mm-hmm. So, Sebastian Vettel is reflecting on his loss of the championship. Is he writing his self-review? Um, I think this is more of his, his overall reflections from memoirs. Oh, so he's starting to write his Formula One journal. Yeah, he says that um, losing the title in 2009, to him that was worse than losing the title this year. He said, I, I've been three times now in a position like that with 17, 9, and this year. Probably 9 was the worst one, the lowest point. You never know what next year brings, so you never know whether you get another chance. Obviously, I worked very hard for it, and I'm confident it will come, but ultimately, I don't know. You can't predict. None of those moments were nice. Now, what happened in, in 2009 was that he remained in the running for that championship up until the seven, second to last race, uh, where he went into that race 15 points behind Jensen Button with a maximum of 20 available. Vettel finished in the race, finished fourth ahead of Jensen, but Jensen clinched the title with one race to spare. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, after that, he began his four um, his four year run of championships. Right. Seb did have a moment. A moment? This weekend. A moment. A moment. That's, that's what I'm going to describe this one. Now, you think I'm going to talk about something different, but I'm not. I'm actually going to talk about something that popped up during free practice, too. Okay. So rather than me describing it, I'm instead going to play his radio message to the teams. Are we going to keep our clean writing? Barely. Okay. Okay, there's something loose between my legs. Copy Apart from the obvious. So repeat, there's something loose between my legs. Apart from the obvious. So something flying around my feet. Okay, copy. Yeah. Around my feet, I mean, I'd be proud if it was what you think it is, but it's not. Like I said, barely. <laughs> so there was a screw flying around in the cockpit of Seb's car. And Seb admitted that as he made the radio call back to the team that it could be misconstrued, which was why he his last call, he, he radioed back the clarification that he did. So Seb got <laughs> screwed? Um, I, well, I don't know about that, but yeah. He has a screw loose. He has a screw loose. Clearly he had a screw loose. <sighs> I, I couldn't describe that if I tried. Uh, no, 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 you could not. <laughs> no, you could not. Now his, the qualifying situation. 
that was where you thought I was going initially. Well, it's the most obvious because I did not know about the thing that was loose between his legs. That's not the obvious. I, I'm, I'm I didn't not, know that was loose. I mean, I, I, is that something that has to be tightened on a regular basis? <laughs> like, I don't know. Not planning on elaborating on that whole thing. But it <laughs> was worth, yeah. It was an angry Seb. We had angry Seb in Q3, though. Yes. Or, or I'm sorry, in Q2 is when that occurred. When he got called so the bridge. we saw the video. Everyone, I think, saw the video. It was broadcast everywhere. Um Changing weather conditions, some risk as to when rain was going to come and start impacting laps. Seb goes out on an outlap. He's called in before the completion. So he has not set a time. And upon reaching the pit lane, he is waved over to the Waybridge. Mm-hmm. Now, what the process is supposed to be, how this is supposed to work when you get called to the Waybridge. <clears throat> is that you pull up to the cone that blocks the entrance of the Waybridge. You are supposed to turn your engine off at this point, at which point the marshals remove the cone. You are pushed onto the Waybridge. They weigh your car. You are then pushed off of the Waybridge, and either the driver can use the reserve battery power or has to wait for the the team mechanics to come over restart the car and then you go off to your pit box and wherever seb didn't do that no seb bulldozes way over knocking the cone out of the way well didn't he knocked it over which the marshal slowly picked it up and moved it off he then drove onto the way bridge did not turn his engine off which meant that the FIA could not get an appropriate or they couldn't get a, a, a full way of the car because of the vibrations caused by the engine. Um, and then Seb drove and, and there's some question. He may have actually turned the car off at some point, but not long enough for them to get a good weight. And instead of waiting for the engineers to push him off of the way bridge, he started the car and drove off under his own power. As a result of him doing so, apparently there were. A, it was initially described that he destroyed the Waybridge mm. on departing. It sounds like what happened, the destruction that occurred, was that parts of the scale were thrown out from underneath the car as he drove off. Oh, my. Either way, rendering it unusable for the remainder of the session. Okay. Um. So Seb's position was that um, this was the timing was was done poorly. There was no reason for it. All it did, given the situation and the conditions that they were dealing with, was all it did was interfere with his qualifying. Okay. To some extent, I think that's a valid point. He didn't have a time set. Changing conditions, rain coming in, every second that he is delayed is time that he cannot get out there and set a time in the dry. And if the rain comes and he's now locked out of a qualifying position because he was pulled in for to, to get the car weighed, I, I could see not just Seb, but Ferrari and several of the teams having issues with that. I could understand that. And that's that's the question I really actually had was I get the need to weigh the cars, but why does it have to be done during the session? Mm-hmm. Couldn't they weigh the cars at the end of the session or maybe call them into the weigh bridge on their way out? You know, I'm not even sure so much calling him into the way bridge on the way out. Daniel Ricardo came out, and in, in, in terms of Seb's position, he, he kind of agreed with Seb of, at the very least, there should be an agreement that a car is not called onto the way bridge until they've at least set a time in the session. And in this case, Seb hadn't even done that. Mm-hmm. So 
if, if all you've done is an outlap and you're called in, you haven't done anything. You haven't accomplished it. You haven't achieved anything. Why are you pulling the car in for scrutineering at that point? Right. I just I don't quite understand if the goal of course is for cars to set times, why we would be pulling them in for weighing in the middle of a session. But and and that some of the, and, and that goes to, to my next question of why can't you just turn around and go okay, time is up on the session. If you're still on track when when the session ends. Before you go back to your garage, you have to weigh. Mm-hmm. And if you're not on track and you're already in the car- in the garage, especially if you're moving forward to the next session, you must weigh prior to your f- first qualifying lap. Yeah. Why, why couldn't they have – why can't that be the way this works? Um, I mean, yes, we, we saw the flash of angry Seb and – Seb's reaction probably was not appropriate, and as a result, he was given his first reprimand of the season, which in a way is kind of surprising given what we've seen in past seasons. But he got his first reprimand of the season and a 25,000 euro fine. Okay. And I think that's bare minimum appropriate for what we saw. Again, acknowledging the fact that was a way really appropriate at this point that's that's my thought and i you got to imagine it from his point of view for just a second here you know his team is still vying for the constructors championship it's gonna make a big difference whether he is sitting on the front row or in 11th place Mm -hmm. and the other part of that is He's trying to set a lap, and you just interrupted that whole process. Well, he wasn't trying to set a lap. He was trying to come in so that the car could be serviced because they were changing out the tires. <coughs> they were they were moving from the, the super softs to uh, the softs. Mm-hmm. But it delayed that cutover. And from the perspective of... The marshals shouldn't be, and, and the FIA and the engineers shouldn't be doing their job in a manner that has an impact on the on-track action and the results. That's That was the point I was headed for, was they were directly affecting <coughs> the results, given the situation. Mm-hmm. Now, I get if there's a need for a penalty, but in this case, there wasn't. Okay. So 2019 is going to be a big, you know, we had silly season this year for drivers. Mm-hmm. 2019 is kind of looking like silly season for tracks. Really? Why? Well, there's several uh, tracks that have their deals that are expiring in 19. Those tracks are mostly European tracks. So we know Silverstone's got their track, their their deal coming up. We know that... Um, uh, I believe Monza has has an expiration that is coming, and there's I think two other European tracks. Germany is, is in question again. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them are in question for post 2019 as to what's happening with their future. With I think the biggest question around Silverstone in general. So the tracks are kind of looking at Liberty coming in and going, okay, this is the opportunity for us to get away from these awful, awful deals that we got. We didn't, we didn't really have much of a choice in dealing with with Bernie. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can use some leverage here around uh, Liberty and rethink some of this stuff. Well, Liberty's now making their own moves. Okay. So I guess the, the most heated one right now is around Silverstone and the future of Silverstone. And Chase Carey is saying that you know maybe maybe we are going to look elsewhere we do have other options for silverstone if silverstone walks away really so what he has said clearly is that on ongoing negotiations and and discussions we've said in the past this is a sport that seems to like negotiating in public and i don't think that's the healthiest way to deal with things as partners 
I don't think we want to provide a lot of inside the tent commentary on active discussions. We value the Silverstone race, but we've got to get to a place that works for us, and those discussions are ongoing. There are always other options. We are continuing to develop an array of options. We're in a fortunate place right now that we have more places that want to have races than we can have. We'll make sure we are able to make the best decisions for fans in racing and for us as a business. All those things matters, and we're actively engaged. So in terms of, I think, sending a message to these tracks and to these promoters that are negotiating, we had, for starters, the announcement this week that Vietnam will host their first ever Formula One Grand Prix in 2020, mm-hmm. as well as word that um, it sounds like there may be some movement in Holland. Nice. For a race, which means either calendars are going to need to get added to, mm-hmm. or races are going to have to drop off. Yep. Well, that's the thing, is at some point, they're going to have to make decisions as to whether or not, you know, everybody has pretty much said that 21 is the limit. Well, and I no. think Chase Carey thinks that they could go to 25. But the, the teams and the drivers want 21 to be the limit. Liberty Media is not yet convinced. Yeah. You can't do 25 races and have two engines. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, that's I, – I think if they go beyond 21 race, and, and we've seen this game played before, that if they go beyond that, they're – it does trigger the addition of an engine. And we saw this a couple of years ago when um, – well, it was new, with the New Jersey race mm-hmm. that it was put on the calendar. And I think it was both New Jersey and Germany were both on the calendar with a pending confirmation. But by keeping them on the calendar for as long as they did, they triggered the clause for the extra engine. Ah, and then once that clause had been triggered, then they were pulled off the calendar. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that was a couple of years ago we, we had had that happen. Um, but when it comes to Vietnam, um, it will be the series' fourth street track of the year. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it's they, They've released the design, and it, it's kind of like a giant Y is the best way I can describe it. Um, two really long but somewhat curved straights and a fiddly bit. And a fiddly bit, okay. Is about the best way to describe it. Well, it's a tilky design on street tracks, by the way. Well, it's a tilky design on every new track, period. Um, and even some of the, the classic tracks get tilkyized. Um, that's what happened in Mexico City is it was decided that the original design was no longer up to modern safety standards and Herman Tilke was brought in to neuter it. I'd be glad when we get a new designer other than Tilke. I just would. Yeah, and I don't see that happening anytime soon. He could retire. He could, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. So over into IndyCar. Yeah. Word came out this week, partly unsurprising, partly surprising, that yes, in fact, McLaren Racing, not Mercedes McLaren or McLaren Honda or McLaren Renault, but McLaren Racing will establish an IndyCar team for a return to the 2019 Indianapolis, well, for a return to the Indianapolis 500 in 2019. Um, It will be a bit more independent than their run in 2017, um, there will still be some involvement uh, with the Andretti team, except that this team will be running Chevy engines. Well, gee, I wonder why they'd I be know. running Chevy <laughs> engines. They are expecting a Chevrolet engine deal. There is expected to be direct McLaren involvement in the team and in the work that is being done, although there is some support in 2019 coming from Andretti. We don't know how much. 
along with that was the announcement that Fernando Alonso will drive uh, for the team at the Indianapolis 500. We don't know exactly how many cars they'll be running. My assumption is, I mean, obviously there's going to be one. We don't know whether or not they're going to field additional cars to that. Okay. So, and Zach Brown is insistent that this effort will not take away from their other motorsports efforts, particularly Formula One. That's what he says. Okay. And then this past year, or this past week, I should say, the mayor of Rio de Janeiro, Mar- Marcello Crivella, said that he has received representatives from the IndyCar series, and he has declared that a race, an IndyCar race will take place on a city street track with sections in the Sambadromo and Presidente Vargas Avenue uh, parts of the city. Okay, that sounds In 2020, cool. sounds very cool. Um, he released a video on his Twitter account showing part of a proposed track layout uh, with him saying in Portuguese, I am here with the IndyCar organizers that will come to make a race here in 2020. I saw the project. I'm going to publish this news about the race that we are thinking of doing here in Rio de Janeiro. It is a great event for our city, and it will attract a lot of tourists. Mark Miles, however, CEO and president of IndyCar owner Holman & Company, told Autosport that he doesn't know anything about a race in Rio. Um, President of competition operations Jay Fry said that there's nothing to comment on. Tony Coatman of NZR Consulting, who is who IndyCar normally contracts to design street tracks, also said that he couldn't comment on any potential race in Rio de Janeiro. Well, no comment doesn't mean that he didn't work on it. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't, but it seems a little odd that everybody from IndyCar is going, uh, what, huh? <laughs> we haven't agreed to anything. What's the deal here? Well, maybe Rio is working with that Chinese knockoff IndyCar program. The Chinese knockoff IndyCar program? Well, you know, they don't have they don't respect trademarks and things like that necessarily in China. So um, maybe they have their own knockoff version, and that's what in Rio is confused. I, I, I believe the name of that knockoff um, that knockoff series in Chinese translates in English to Super Happy Fun Series. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is the Super Happy Fun Series. Now IndyCar has raced in, in, in Rio before. Okay. Uh, it was part of the, the, the CART IndyCar series. Um, from 96 to 2000, it raced at the Jacarapugia. I probably butchered it. Yeah, but you did. The, the Jacarapugia, tra- I'm going to double down on that name, trapezoid-shaped oval, which used part of the old Brazilian Grand Prix course uh, that Formula One ran on. However, that track was demolished in 2012 to make way for the 2016 Summer Olympics. We've talked about this track before because Rio's been trying to get something, anything. They don't care what. But the question was, well, where are they going to run since the track got torn down for the Olympics? Yeah. Well, you know, it would make another Olympic uh, racing connection. I mean, we do like to run in old Olympic parks. There's that. Now, there was an event that was proposed in 2015 to be held in Brasilia, but it was canceled less than two months before it was due to be held as the season opener due to a change of governorship in the region. Okay. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. It would be nice if Indy, like, remembered that they got an email that, hey, we'd like a proposed track. (laughs) Well, you know, at at this point, I got to wonder which is going to be more likely. This race or Surfer's Paradise? Yeah. And maybe Rio doubled down when they heard Surfer's Paradise was sniffing around. That may be. Um, there are a couple of Brazilian drivers in IndyCar. Mm-hmm. Just like, I, I sh- and I meant to point this out last week. So Surfer's Paradise is in Queensland in Australia, which is where Will Power's from. Right. So there, there's there's connections there to be made. It could become international yet again beyond Toronto, which is really just America light. There you go. And on that note, before— Whoa, whoa, time oh, out. 
I was going to go before the Canadians start to throw stuff at us, but now you're delaying it. I am. The Canadians are too nice. They don't throw things. Okay. Um, only apologies and compliments is what a Canadians will throw. Oh. Um, no, it is currently, as we record, it is the 11th of November. I would be remiss if I did not thank all of our veterans ah. on Happy Veterans Day. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.